In this session, we're going to talk about strategic planning for mission when it comes to looking at our health outreach programs. And we're going to definitely give you time for some questions as well. A number of years ago, I was taping a program, a series of programs on the Reformation. And I was in Geneva. It was at the end of a day. And my producer said, Mark, you have to be sure to get this take right. Because the sun is setting. The lighting will be poor. So be sure to get this take right. I was standing in the door of Calvin's church in Geneva, talking about the Reformation. And the script called for me to walk out of the door of the church, down a few steps while I was talking, doing this line. And you know how it is when you're thinking, and the producer's words, and I had memorized scripts for many years, and so I really should have known what I was doing, but I didn't. And you know how it is when somebody tells you, you have to get this right? And I forgot about thinking about the lines. All I kept was going out of my head, you got to get this right. you got to get this right. So I walked down the steps of the church. The cameras are rolling. I'm about halfway through the first two lines, and I totally messed them up. So the producer said, Mark, I'm sorry, but you got to go do that again. But concentrate. Get your head into this thing. Where's your head? You know, and concentrate on this. So I began walking down the stairs and knew I had it right. And wouldn't you believe it, a car came by and peeped its horn. <laughs> and the producer said, Mark, we can't use that. It just ruined the script. Go back. So I'm down now to about the third or fourth time. I begin walking out of the steps, coming down. And would you believe it, the bell rang and some kids just got out of school. The upshot of the story is I did this thing about six times. I wasted about 45 minutes. The light is going down. The sixth time I was walking down the steps. And literally, I heard a voice from heaven. Literally, I heard the voice from heaven. My producer heard the voice from heaven. Now, you're not going to believe this. An audible voice spoke out of heaven. And I have three or four witnesses. You want to know what the voice said? American, American, look up here. We're locked in the church. And I looked up in the belfry, and there were three American tourists that had been visiting this old Calvin church. And the, the, uh, the curator of the church left at 5 o'clock, and he locked them in the church. And these people heard me speaking English, and so they're up in the belfry of the church saying, Preacher, we're locked in the door of the church. Let us out. Let us out. I have thought it. Now, incidentally, I looked up at them and said, all right, if you be quiet and you let me get this line, I'll get you out of that place. <laughs> and so they did. You know, They were quiet. And these Americans watched me do the lines. And then I went and we called. We looked on the board and finally found the curator's number and told him that these Americans were locked in the church. And we finally got them out that night. <laughs> I've thought about that story so many times. How many of your friends, members in your church are crying? Hey, I'm locked in the church. Won't somebody open the doors and release me for service and ministry? It seems to me that there are scores of churches that the doors are locked. And that's what we want to talk to you about, opening the doors of the church and, and how you can develop an ongoing health ministry out of your church. One thing is for certain, if we follow Jesus, Luke 19.10 says, The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. The whole ministry of Christ was reaching out to save lost people. And Jesus was not introverted in his inlook. He was extroverted in his outlook. Jesus was looking at people. His whole ministry was geared to saving people. And when you come to the cross of Christ and your heart is really broken over what Jesus is doing for you, you want to help people physically, mentally, spiritually, in every direction. Without outreach, there are some real pathological health problems that develop spiritually. There's an arthritis of the soul. There are the clogged arteries of the heart. There's the malignancy cancer of the spirit. And there's a retardation of real genuine spiritual growth. And so if a church is locked inward focusing, and it's not reaching out into its community for Jesus Christ, it develops the pathology of the soul. There's that arthritis and the clogged arteries and malignancy of the spirit and retarded spiritual growth. 
what, you remember what Jesus said recorded by Luke, Dr. Luke in Acts, Acts 20, verse 35. He says, I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus who said it's more blessed to give than receive. Who is more blessed, the one that conducts the health program or the one that participates in it? Who's more blessed, the one that gives the Bible study or the one that receives it? You see, one of the reasons that God wants us actively involved in service is because service starves selfishness. And so when you're actively involved in blessing others and touching somebody, and when your day, when you're thinking about in your office, who can I touch for Jesus today? Who can I be a blessing to today? Who can I help today? When that's the mindset of your life and you're reaching out to bless others, it makes a dramatic difference. I love the book, Acts of the Apostles, page 101, forgetting that strength to resist evil, it's talking about the disciples in Jerusalem, is best gained through aggressive service. So we gain strength to resist evil when we're serving others. Desire of Ages 142, in order for us to develop a character like Christ, we must share in his work. So the more I'm out ministering like Jesus ministered, physically, mentally, spiritually, the more I'm out touching people for Christ, the more I'm blessing them, the more it enables us to develop a character like his. Fundamentals to Christian Education, page 227, those who would be overcomers must be drawn out of themselves. And the only thing which will accomplish this great work is to become intensely interested in the salvation of others. So as we become interested in the salvation of other people, that transforms our own lives. It does something for us. Uh, individually. It does something for us spiritually. Some time ago in my work I was making a trip through a particular country. It was not the United States and a lot of times I have to make protocol visits. I'll visit with political officials of varying countries and visit with the vice president of a country here or the president of a country there. And um, I had to make a visit with the Anglican Archbishop of this country. He was the head religious leader of the Anglican Church. And as we sat down together talking, I said to the Archbishop, I said, well, sir, share with me a little bit some of the challenges that the Anglican Church is facing and some of the uh, issues that you're facing. And he said, well, one of the things you may know about Anglicanism is that we're losing membership. We are declining. Many of our great cathedrals in England have just lost membership totally. And uh, we have maybe 3%, 4% of the population now attending church. We have these great cathedrals. They're empty. And he said, I just came back from a meeting of Anglican archbishops. And uh, we were discussing that issue and what we can do about it. And he said, we've just written a strategic plan. So I was really interested because I'm interested in the growing of the church and church growth and community outreach. And so I said to this archbishop, tell me about your plan. He said, this is what it is. We believe that every single one of our churches ought to be a training center. And so we want to change the mentality of our membership and turn our churches into schools where members can be trained and released to service to make a difference in the community. And in the back of my mind, I said, I wonder what books that man has been reading. Um, he says, the Anglican Church has been losing membership consistently for decades. In a recent meeting of our archbishops, we discussed a way forward and sensed that unless each of our congregation becomes a training school for discipleship and witness, the future is bleak. Could you say that same thing about Adventist churches? Um, Elton Trueblood, a great Quaker scholar, made this statement, the church of the future will be a mini-seminary. The church of the future will be a mini-seminary. See, that's a different mentality at church, isn't it? And uh, Jesus talked to his disciples about the importance of every disciple being actively involved in service. Jesus didn't see himself, and you know that as, as simply doing the work, he saw himself as equipping and training his disciples to participate in the work. And what did the Apostle Paul say? Talked about spiritual gifts, Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12. He, Paul, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, he, Jesus, rather himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. It's an interesting text when you really look at it because it's talking about the gifts of the spirit that God gives. And it says that some pastors and teachers, the word and here is a Greek word called chi, and it can be translated also that is or who are. Many modern translations will put a slash here, say some pastors slash teachers, or some even say some teaching pastors. 
So if you read it literally, the passage would say that God gives gifts, apostles, that's divine administration, prophets that have visions and dreams, evangelists that have the ability to proclaim the gospel to large numbers, pastors who are teachers to equip the saints, that is the believers, for their work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. So the ones that do the ministry are not the pastors, but the believers. So in the biblical sense of the church, what is the church? The church is the body of Christ where members have gifts. The function of the pastor is to help the members discover their gifts, release them for service as they equip and train them for ministry. So Elton Trueblood wasn't too far off, was he? when he said every the church of the future is going to be a mini-seminary. In other words, the church of the future becomes that building, that modality, where members are trained and equipped to serve, where they can go out and use the gifts that God has given them. Uh, the re what is equipping? It's the recognition that each believer has been given gifts by God as a means of Christian witness and developing specific initiatives for each church member to discover and use best their gifts for service and ministry. And so that is our role as leaders in a local congregation. That's your role, is to help people discover their gifts and help them find their gifts and release their gifts for service. The Apostle Paul encouraged every pastor to equip believers for the work of ministry. So ministry is not something simply reserved for a few that have theological training. Ministry is a way of life that God has called the church. And churches grow when each member is trained and equipped to serve. I love the statement in Ministry of Healing where Ellen White says, many would be willing to work if they were taught how to begin. Um, when a church members are equipped to serve and as they form small groups to reach out to their community in Bible-based ministries, the church explodes in growth. Um, evangelism, page 115, in our churches let companies be formed for service. What's, a, what's another name for a company? A small group, a small group. So what we want to focus on in this session is how to actually form small groups in a local congregation that can reach out in ministries in harmony with the gifts they have. How do you choose those groups? How do you train those groups and equip them for service? A revived church filled with members and equipped to witness is a church that's ready to reach its community. When we talk about community outreach, what are we talking about? We're talking about the development of Christian community with the fellowship of believers that leads to a caring, loving, multifaceted outreach to meet the needs of the, commu of the community in Jesus' name. Church has to do with community. We live in a desperately lonely world in which people's lives are broken and fragmented. Church becomes an opportunity for them to come to share the love of Christ together to share their hearts together, to share their lives together, to share meaning and purpose. And as the body of Christ in Christian community shares the lives that they have in Christ with one another, they are built up and nurtured. Small groups become the opportunity to do that. When I look, for example, at the places where the Adventist church and the Christian church is growing most rapidly around the world, in every instance there is a strong small group structure. And that small group structure becomes an opportunity for care, love, and sharing within the context of the small group. Then it becomes an opportunity as well to witness outside the small group. That's true in Brazil, for example. In Brazil, we have about 2,300,000 Adventists and we're running 80 to 100,000 small groups. Peru, 700,000 Adventists, another 60, 70,000 small groups. As we talked in China, the great house church movement, we were interviewing a pastor recently this last week that Tini told you about, female pastor, she has 20,000 members, 400 sub-congregations, and multiple thousands of small groups. These small groups perform a variety of tasks. Some of them are nurture groups, so they meet together, they pray, they study the Bible together, they uh, do ministry and witness together. Some are small prayer groups, some are health ministry groups. We're going to focus particularly in this session on how to establish 
one type of small group in your church, health ministry groups. Churches grow when there's a planned process of community outreach, meeting the physical, mental, social, and spiritual needs of people. If somebody asked me, how do you define the church? I developed, I define the church this way. The church is the body of Christ with members who have come together, committed to the biblical principles of ministry in Jesus' name. And the church members who discover their gifts and reach out in ministries, minister throughout the week in loving compassion for Jesus. You know, in Matthew 4, verse 23, talking about Jesus, the scripture says, and Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and disease. So Jesus' ministry was multifaceted. It looked at people physically, mentally, and spiritually. Following the Savior's example, the New Testament church met the needs of people in Jesus' name. These early disciples demonstrated a concern for the entire person, physically, mentally, spiritually, and socially. And we read about Christ's method alone in our last session. Christ's method will give success in reaching the people and that growing churches have programs that meet the needs of people. Ellen White makes this statement, every church should be a training school for Christian workers. I raise this question to you, is your church a training school for Christian workers? Is that really what's going on there? Every church a training school for Christian workers. Now, I want to look at a divine plan in the book of Corinthians and spend a little time on this one. When I first began to study about the church being a training school, I began to ask myself, how can this happen practically in a local congregation? When I first began to look at some of the things by Elton Trueblood, who said the, the church of the future will be a mini seminary. And then when I talked to this Anglican Archbishop that I talked to you about, and he said that we see the wave of the future to recover our bleak membership statistics is to turn our churches into training schools. I began to study particularly spiritual gifts in the book of Corinthians, and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 was really a help to me to put this all together. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. In other words, God imparts different gifts to different members. Everybody can't do the same thing, but everybody can do something for Jesus. Witnessing is not a gift, it's the role of the Christian. So witnessing is a role. Every one of us, when we come to Christ, we're witnesses. But how I express my witnessing is based on the gifts that God gives us. Now there are diversities, different gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. Now there are three things in the passage that are of interest. You'll notice it. There are diversities of what? Gifts. There are diversities or differences of ministries, and there are diversities of activities. Gifts, ministries, activities. This is what really provided the key to me to unlock the meaning of, of how to launch a health ministry or a, a, a loving, caring ministry of, for Christ in the local church. Gifts, ministries, activities. First, let's define each one. What is a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift is a divinely imparted quality given by God for service to each believer. So the idea that, oh, I don't have any gifts to serve is not biblical. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 6 and onward, that God gives gifts to every believer. So every believer, when they come to Jesus Christ, receive gifts for service. So when I stand up before a congregation as a pastor, or when I stand up before you today, I say to myself, this is really exciting. This is the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And every single one of you have been given gifts by God to serve. They've been divinely imparted to serve. So what is a spiritual gift? It's a divinely imparted quality, just like grace is a gift. God gives us grace as a gift. So spiritual gifts, these qualities to serve, are imparted by Christ. They are gifts that Jesus gives me. When somebody gives you a gift, what do you do? You say, thank you. And so I say, thank you, Lord. You've given every one of my church members. So if my church has eight members and four of them are older than me, and that's old. Four of them, you know, 75, 76. I got to go older than anybody in this room. Okay, you know, you got this 87-year-old guy. I look out there. He's this crotchety old guy that troubles me every church board. I say, praise the Lord for that old Joe at 87 because you've given him gifts to serve. And then I look at this little girl, 11 years old, that came to Jesus, and I say, thank you so much. You've given her gifts to serve. 
It's transformational in your thinking. Every church member, when you look over that, the young ones, the old ones, the agreeable ones and the disagreeable ones and the ones in between, they have all gifts to serve. Now, the Bible talks about ministries. What's the ministry? Ministries are broad service areas in which spiritual gifts are utilized to build up the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to share something with you that may surprise you. The Bible never teaches that, that we should organize outreach programs around spiritual gifts. I had a friend of mine who called me once a pastor. He was pastoring up in Massachusetts. And he said, Mark, I am the most frustrated pastor in all the world. I said, why? He said, I had some guy come in and teach spiritual gifts in my church. And I just discovered that my members have 28 spiritual gifts, but I have no clue what to do. And I've been trying to organize my church around those spiritual gifts, and I'm going absolutely crazy. We organize a church around ministries. You organize a church around ministries. Ministries become the organizational tool that you organize your church around. And God leads those with gifts into those specific ministries. So gifts are divinely imparted qualities. What are ministries? They are broad service areas in which spiritual gifts are utilized or exercised to build up the kingdom of God. And remember the third thing in our, in our uh, text? What was the third thing? Activities. What are activities? They're specific outreach programs which utilize the gifts through various ministries. Now let me illustrate it. God has given people gifts of organization. He's given people gifts and talents of um, gifts of, 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 as they reach out, of, of, of helps. He's given people gifts of teaching. So here are three gifts, organization, teaching, and helps that the Bible mentions. Let's suppose I organize a health ministry. When I'm organizing health ministry, I'm looking for somebody that has, has a gift of organization to participate in that health ministry. And I'm on my knees praying, okay, God, we're going to organize a health ministry. Who do we have here that has a pretty good gift of organization in the church? They may have not much interest in health, but they're pretty good in organization. Then, Lord, who has the gift of teaching? Maybe they have a health background. Maybe they're a nurse. If they have a health background, that's preferable. And we can pull them in. They've got a great gift of teaching. They can help us up front. Who has the gift of helps? That person after the cooking school that's not going to complain, that's going to relish in washing the dishes and cleaning up the tables. There are people like that, aren't there? And they love to help. They love to help. Who has the gift of hospitality that we can be put at the door? So we begin to think in our mind. And once this clicks, you see, in your brain, everybody has spiritual gifts in the church. We organize around ministries. The health ministry may be, is what we're talking about right now, for sure, the health ministry. And what's the activity? The activity may be a cooking school. But a health ministry may take more than cooking school. There may be a five-day plan. That's an activity. So activities are the specific programs. Ministries are the broad-based area under which the program falls. So what do we do as a church? If we want our church to grow, we develop broad-based ministries. There may be a Bible study ministry. There may be a youth ministry. There may be a community service ministry. There may be a health ministry. I think in Forest Lake, when you were pastoring there, there were... If I, do I remember correctly, how many ministries did you have going out of the church? It was, I think it was 40-some. Yeah, yeah, so in Forest Lake, at the time Derek was pastoring there, he had 40 ministries going out of his local church, 600 volunteers, leaders. leaders. When you went to the church, the church was 24, 500 members. When you left, I think it was 3,300. It grew 36. It grew almost... Um, a thousand members in a five-year period. Why? Because he had all these ministries. But you organize your church around ministries. You encourage your people with the area of giftedness. You begin then running your training programs to equip in the area of those gifts. And the church explodes. Why? Because it's meeting needs in the community. Tini, how can we take the principle of gifts, ministries, and activities, and apply this now to health, specifically. <clears throat> okay, we want to talk about a strategy for health ministries, because that's what you'd probably be involved in. There are many ministries that we find in the church are, are really exciting. Bible study ministry, I tell you, I am so excited. We have... Um, been using our book, Light Your World for God, 
and they just told us that they translated it and We just trained over a hundred lay Bible, got to get all mic'd up here, a <laughs> hundred lay Bible instructors in Mobile, Alabama in, in preparation for our evangelistic meetings there. It's just a, an average church of 150, 200 maybe attending, and we're going to do evangelistic meetings there, but we know that we have to do some pre-work because advertising is not bringing them out in public evangelism. Oh, I've tracked this for years and you're getting less than one, they're getting less than one per thousand for every brochure. So unless we do pre-work, it's not a happening thing. And so we were just uh, planning with them and preparing. We planned over a hundred, uh, uh, I mean, we had over a hundred lay Bible instructors. I just talked with them a few days ago when I got back from China. And they said, we have several Bible studies going. In fact, some of our people have four and five Bible studies going. And you see what happens in public evangelism? There are five keys to, to, to successful evangelism. Key number one is spiritual revival. Without spiritual revival, very little is going to happen in the church. So we teach them spiritual revival. Then training and equipping. We train them in health ministry. We train them in Bible study ministry. We take them through our entire, we have the five keys as the first chapter in here. We take them through that. Then, we, after we train and equip them, then we teach them how to reach out into the community with these health ministries. So, in and the fourth key is public proclamation or public evangelism. So what happens is we have maybe 20 or 30 from the cooking school that come into the meetings pre-register. Then we have maybe 30 or 40 from our Daniel seminars, some from our home groups, some from our literature ministry, some from our Bible study ministry. We may have 50 or 60 from our Bible study ministry, and they're the first ones down the aisle to make a decision at the evangelistic meetings because they've already gone through 25, 30 uh, of, the event, uh, of the Bible studies. So so we're finding that the churches are, I'm finding that they want to learn, they want to come out, and they will. So let's look at, but let's look zero in on specifically a strategy for health ministry here. And I need the, this little thing here and here. Should that do it? Um, let's see. How do we do this? That should do it. Why isn't that clicking? Put this in. Yeah. Yep. All this technology here. Yeah, it's good. No, I wanted this one. Okay, why? Well. Well, no, it wasn't. Uh, I just did it by hand, but anyway. Um, yeah, I know it, but I changed it. Okay, well, let's just back up here. It's better if we can... Where's Ellie? Dr. Kim. Okay. All right. Yes. Oh, okay, good. Okay. Where do we begin in establishing a church-based ministry? Where do we begin? Well, consider the end from the beginning. Wow, what does that mean? Consider the end from the beginning. What is the ultimate result that we want to accomplish in the overall plan of the church? That, that's the problem that we find as we go into a, a church and do public evangelism that there's no overall strategy. You see, the reason that the church is growing so fast in Inter and South America, in fact, when we visit them, they tell us down there, you don't know how to do it up in North America. That's the problem. You don't know how to do it. And we say, that's right, but 
please teach us. And so when I was there, I said, teach us how to do it. And they said, look, we have our women's ministry, our personal ministries department, our evangelism department, our, our ministries, everything, Sabbath school, everything is revolving around a strategy, around a whole overall plan. So we need an overall plan. So if we're going to really make something happen here, we need an overall plan. We need some strategic planning for mission. And that's exactly what they do in Inter and South America. And you know what? That's what they're doing in China. When we met with them in China, I couldn't believe it because they have a strategy. They have a plan, even though they have no formal organization. They don't have any formal conferences and, and, and unions and divisions because they can't at this point, but they have organization in the mother churches and the mother churches are teaching the daughter churches. And as we go from place to place, we're finding that we not only find mother churches and daughter churches, but granddaughter churches. How many of us have daughter churches here and are raising up new churches from our church. So we need an overall plan. And one of the things that we find is helpful as we go into a city is to have a calendar. Now this happened to be our Acts 2000 calendar. I just did one for my series in Portland, Maine. We're doing another one for Mobile, but I had this one. And every month we share on that calendar what we want to accomplish to get to the end goal of helping people know Jesus Christ. That's really what it is. So we have a calendar of events. We start with planning an overall strategy. So you start with a calendar and say, okay, over the next year, the next two years, the next three years, what do I want to accomplish in my church? And we are told that the first, first thing on the agenda, we're told this in the Seventh-day Adventist manual, that the first thing on the agenda should be the mission of the church and evangelism. So we should be planning that in our church board meetings and, and planning a calendar of events, using gifts, ministries, and activities as a base. We plan the ministries or establish the ministries, plan the activities, and then people will use their gifts. So we plan the activities and we use the various gifts in health ministry. Number two, determine your program and select your materials. If you're talking about a health ministry, you determine what are you gonna, what are you gonna do? Are you just gonna do a cooking school over here and then lose those people? Or you know what else we found? We have a five-day plan they don't call it that anymore. We did the five-day plan and now Breathe Free and all the other names for it. But um, when you grow up on the five-day plan, you know, you get that uh, embedded in your brain. But uh, we would have, you, you have people for five days. They're eating out of your hand. They love you. They're quitting smoking. But you know what? We then lose them. Where do they go? because we don't have a strategic plan. We don't have a sequence, program, and plan of evangelism. So you determine that. What is it gonna be? Is it gonna be classes on how to reduce the risk of the number one killer, heart disease? Wow, you can have a whole program just on heart disease and on that, how to reduce the risk of cancer. I mean, you've got all, and there's so much, in, are you gonna have cooking schools? What? program, what are you going to determine once you have your overall plan? How is that going to fit in to the overall objective of leading people to Jesus Christ? How are you going to do that? So you plan all this. You plan your materials. This is my, our old book of natural lifestyle cooking with our recipes. We have a new one that's coming out that I think is going to be quite exciting. It's very practical for people. It, they're easy to do. And uh, we hope that people will be blessed as they share it with their friends so we can multiply. So are we going to teach them the Eden diet? I've gone to cooking schools in some churches, and they're not teaching the Eden diet. And they're using heavy cheese and heavy milk and heavy dairy. And people, I've been, uh, I'm amazed because people come to our cooking schools and I, we never say anything about the fact that we're not using milk, eggs, or cheese. But you know what? 
People never debate us. They're not disappointed. They go away feeling like, wow, you're giving us so much. You're giving us so much. And, and, and I never knew there were so many options for a plant-based diet. And Councils on Diets and Foods 383, Ellen White says, cancers, tumors, pulmonary diseases are largely caused by meat eating. So when are we gonna teach our people, even our own people? I've gone to potlucks in Adventist churches where they're serving meat. And, and, and so, I mean, we need to be teaching not only this in the world, but even in our own churches. The liability to take disease is increased tenfold by meat eating. And so we have an opportunity in our cooking schools. And I make the cooking schools exciting. I tell them, you know what? We're here to take you around our family table. We want to share with you things that I will be very exciting. And we're going to demonstrate all of these wonderful foods that God has given us. I've already introduced God. You know, God has given us all the, the abundance of fruits, nuts, grains, and vegetables. And then people will come up to us after class and ask us about the spiritual just from the little things that we've said in the classes. So we have an opportunity to share Jesus Christ even in our cooking schools. Are we going to do it on weight control? You remember one of the, the, the real needs in the businesses was what? Weight control. Weight control. People want to know how to control their weight. So we can teach them about physical activity and what kind of exercise and the hazards of inactivity, heart disease, diabetes, osteoporosis, cancer, anxiety, and depression. We can have whole programs on some of these. or. Depression recovery. Dr. Nedley has a wonderful uh, program on depression recovery. We have so many materials out there. It's not a lack of materials that we have. You know what they tell me down in South America? They say, yeah, you don't know how to do it up there because, and I said, well, tell me why. And they said, well, because you don't give them any guns and you don't give them any ammunition. And when you do bring out your lay people, you ask them, to buy it. But we provide the materials for them to do the programs. We provide it for them, and then they do it. And then you know what? We get paid back up more than a hundredfold because we bring in all these people, and then we get the tithes and the offerings anyway. And so we need to supply materials. I don't charge for my cooking school. I, well, I'll take that back. I charge $20 for the materials. We give them my book. We give them all the samples of food. We give them other additional materials and recipes. And so we tell them we just charge a minimal fee for the cooking school. And, and then I pay for my food out of that. So it doesn't really cost the church because I pay for that. And then they get my time. We don't, we're not asking them to pay us or anything. So, so what program are you going to choose in health ministry? Once you've made a decision to have a health ministry, and as I said, there are many ministries. There's youth ministry, there's Bible study ministry, there's literature ministry. And I tell my literature ministry, by the way, hey, this is exciting. Come on out with us. Knock on some doors and get some literature out there because you're going to get at least four or five of the eight natural remedies in literature ministry. You're going to get exercise. You're going to get sunshine, fresh air, and you're certainly going to have trust in divine power as you knock on those doors. So you're going to get that. So there are many ministries, but in health ministry, what program are you going to choose? They're out there. There are materials out there. And then point number three, select your team. Get, get a team around you. Train and equip your team. Train and equip that, that team. And train people who, who love people, not people who are going to literally send people away because, you know, uh, maybe there's not enough room. Have you ever had that happen? We just had that happen recently where we, we said, no, no, you can't, we can't send people away. You, f you, you have some Adventists get up and give their seat or, or you make room and, and and, and you have a love for people, people who are easy to work with, people who have varied gifts. Yes, you need those people 
who have the gift of helps, because in my cooking schools, we need registration people, we need greeters, we need people who are working in the kitchen, we need people who are doing samples, but we also need people who are washing dishes and people who have the gift of help. So people with a variety of gifts. You don't have to have a health professional to conduct a health program. Yes, you can be a health professional. Look, I'm not, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a physician. Our daughter is a physician. Our son-in-law is a physician. Our daughter, Rebecca, is a registered dietitian. Our son is a, a PA, or finishing up his last clinical and uh, ready for PA. And so we have you know, that in our background, but we're not, my husband and I are not, uh, quote, health professionals, and yet we've had literally hundreds of health programs, and we hide behind the authorities. We hide behind the authorities, and we, and we show them practical things, and people respond. And so you use people with a variety of gifts, people who are committed also to the health message, because you don't want to be battling Amen. people who are saying, look, I don't want this program. Uh, you're not using, you know, milk, eggs, and cheese, and, and people need that, and they need the calcium, they need the protein, and uh, all of that. You can't be battling that. People who are committed to the health message in your, uh, in your health ministry team, and people who are committed to Jesus and soul winning. Because if they're committed to Christ, and they're committed to soul winning, then they will love people, and they will love the message, and you know what? They'll love the health message. We are so privileged to have this wonderful health message. God gave in 1863 in Otsego, Michigan, Ellen White, the vision of the health message, and she gave it because our own leaders, our own Adventist leaders were broken in their own health and needed it and she knew that the world would need it as well as the church. So it's a wonderful opportunity for us. And then equip those, uh, a team of workers um, who have church growth eyes and a soul winning heart. They see everyone as Jesus did, winnable. They see them as winnable. You see the person coming to that health program. You see the person who's uh, been on, on tobacco, been smoking for the last, 30 years, you see them as winnable. You see every person coming as winnable and teach them to ask non-threatening questions which will open up doors for the spiritual. Some non-threatening questions. How did you happen to learn about the health programs? Have you been interested in health for a long time? This will open up many, many doors, and as you talk with them and as you train the team. You know, the other challenge is that if we don't have the Adventists coming and mingling, what does Jesus say in that statement? As we mingle, we need to mingle. And as we mingle with the world, as we mingle with those people coming to our health programs, then what happens? As we mingle together with them, they're conversing, they're making friends, and then when we offer some opportunities for Bible studies, when we offer opportunities to come to the church or other things, they've already made a friend so they don't feel alone. So, uh, or, or just little things like our speaker talked about the fact that we're physical, mental, and spiritual beings. Have you ever thought much about the spiritual aspects of health? But you see, when people are coming to my cooking school for five weeks in a row, because I have five classes, minimum of five classes in, in my cooking school, then they begin to identify with us. They begin making friends, and you begin making friends with them. And then number four, organize and prepare your program. What, what classes are you going to conduct? I know that in my classes I'm going to start with bread because it's non-threatening. Now let me tell you how the, God has opened the door up just with this bread class. In 1974, and I still have it, the Chattanooga Times and Free Press. I, we, were at, we were at the Georgia Cumlin Conference at Wildwood at the time, and they wanted me to teach some others to do cooking schools. And I was just young myself, learning how to do this, but I was doing it anyway. And so they said, Mark, 
we would like you, a physician and his wife wanted to hold a cooking school. And so they said, would you do some advertising for us? And so he went down to the Chattanooga free, uh, News and Free Press and he said to them, they want, we have a physician and his wife who is a nurse that want to teach health classes. And you know, we'd like to have a feature article. And they said, well, we're not really interested in vegetarianism, but we're interested in bread making. Do you know anybody that makes homemade bread? And Mark said, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, my wife makes bread every week. Maybe I can bring you by a loaf. So he came home and he told me, and I gave him a loaf and he brought it down and she said, um, this is what he told me because I wasn't there. Uh, he said, you know, um, she offered to come to the home and take some pictures and interview me. And I thought, what am I doing this for? I'm not holding a cooking school. And so I thought, well, I'll do it anyway. And he said, well, have bread in every stage you can think of, you know? So I just <laughs> had the ingredients over here and I had, I had the bread, you know, rising and I had the bread coming out of the oven and I had the bread all over the place and I had the bread done and I had all this bread and, and so she was interviewing me and I was telling her, yeah, I make homemade bread all the time every week and, and um, you know, we eat a lot of different kinds of whole grain bread. We eat, you know, oatmeal raisin bread and we eat 100% whole wheat bread and we, you know, eat rye bread and I was going over everything. And, and so Mark was in the other room with the, um, with the other editor because they had a camera person and an editor and took all these pictures. And so at the end, they left and I thought, well, I don't know what's going to happen with this but um, why they even came. But then the next day we went, we got a newspaper and they had a two-page spread with pictures and all of these things, all the bread and everything. And then at the end it said to register for classes, call. And I said, oh, Mark, somebody's having some bread classes. And he said, <laughs> And he said, yeah, you. And I said, Mark Finley, I have never done a bread class in my life. And I would not even know where to begin with a bread class. And he said, oh, it's easy. And I said, well, then you do it. And so I said, I said, I don't know how to do this. Now, to, on top of everything else, I was eight months pregnant with the girl you see here, Rebecca. I was pregnant with, or nine months, I was in my ninth month, and they had this advertised, and I thought, well, I'll go down to the Better Living Center, and I'm sure nobody's going to come out to a bread class, so I won't have it anyway. I went down to the Better Living Center, and as I went in there, the lady was on the phone, and she, and she said, oh, just a minute, just a minute, please. And then she said, oh, yes, we're having a bread class, but the bread class is totally filled, so we're scheduling one for next week, too. And I thought, now I have two, and I haven't even had one yet. And, uh, and then as she talked on, she talked about three classes. And so I went down there, and I thought, how would I ever do this? I have no idea how to do this. Well, I got to have it mixed up already because I need to have the second stage ready to go. So I started thinking in my mind how I would do this. You know, mix it up, have the second stage ready, have the next one ready, already done. What they're going to sample, I would already have made. So I started thinking about this. I delivered Rebecca. She sat in, no wonder she's so you know, efficient here. She was started young. And so uh, she's right here. She was by my side in a bassinet as I was giving this bread class, and I thought, nothing would ever happen in this bread class spiritually, so why did I even do this? I didn't see anything, although I talked to a lady, and she was interested in giving, uh, having Bible studies, and I turned the name over because we had just gotten a call into full-time public evangelism in the Southern New England Conference, and we went there, and so I turned her name over, and let me tell you, 10 years later, Ten years later, this same girl saw me at the Soul Winning Institute in Chicago, Illinois that Mark started in 1979, and she said, do you remember me? And I said, whew, you look familiar, but you know, give me a hint. She said, do you remember that first bread class you had? 
I said, oh yeah, I remember that well. And she said, well, I came, you started studies, you turned my name over. She said, I just want you to know, I continued Bible studies. My husband and I have both been baptized. We're at the seminary training, and I knew you were here at the Soul Winning Institute, and I want you to teach me how to do bread classes, because <laughs> I came in from a bread class. That's easy, yeah. And so, and I found that I've taken that article to many newspapers. I've taken it to newspapers. I've taken it to radio stations. We've done radio spots. We've done television uh, in Orlando. We went all over with uh, radio and television and in uh, Chattanooga. And I got on just before Einstein. I'm not a television person, believe me. I am not a television person, but I'll do I'm bold for Jesus Christ. And so I'll go anywhere. And I went in and I just said, you know, we have this program and, you know, maybe we could do something, uh, maybe a few minutes. Uh, and I went down there with all these, you know, entrees and granola and all these things. And all the television people were, were, were looking and amazed. And so they put me on and uh, I thought we were going to be like, two minutes, a minute, two minutes. They put me on for like 12 minutes. That's a long time in television time. Put me on for about 12 minutes. They played it at five o'clock. We had over 700 people in Chattanooga as a result of it. So you choose your, you know, choose what you're gonna do. And then I do breakfast, because that logically leads into have, making breakfast a better meal. And then I do meal balancing and protein without meat, and, and no dairy, no, no animal products at all, and then simple, healthful desserts. How can you end with a simple, healthful dessert? So plan your program, what materials you're going to use, how you're going to do it, what you're going to set up for your displays, whatever you're going to do. And then prepare your demonstrations. Uh, we can just run through this quickly because, you know, we have a whole thing on how to actually train the church in doing this. Plan preliminary preparations. Uh, plan all your, your sh from your shopping to your displays to everything. Set up your trays and, and do all of the planning so that when people come, it is so exciting and so organized, they see you know, if you're going to have a cooking school, they see all the displays. They see all the trays and all the things you're making. They see all the samples. They, they get to taste them. They get to try them. And, and then they're excited about your health ministry. And you don't only do that just one time. You see what happens? When you come to the end of that program, you say, now we're going to be having another cooking school. We're going to be having a stress management. We're going to have a stop smoking plan. We're going to have a, 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 a depression recovery. We're going to have eight weeks to wellness. Whatever your program is, and you have a list, and they can check that and when they want to do it. So it's ongoing. So you do, and, you and then you select and do your advertising. We, you need to advertise well. You can have the best health program, but if you don't advertise well, and you don't get people there, then it's of non-effect, right? I mean, you gotta get people there. So we do a simple brochure. Uh, this, this is one that we've done on our cooking schools, natural lifestyle cooking. We, we, we advertise, you, you know, what they're gonna discover. You're gonna increase your life expectancy by 10 years. You're gonna decrease your risk of cancer and heart disease. You're gonna lower the number of colds. You're gonna improve your outlook on life. You're gonna create an atmosphere of joy during your meals. And we, we create a brochure and then we tell them about our classes and what we're gonna have and how we're gonna do it. But we also advertise well by going to every radio station because you have PSAs they're free you go you go and you're gonna get it there's a law that if you have a f community service program like this that you can get a PSA on we have 30 second spots we have m one minute spots and we run those and that's how people come out to the program so you need to advertise well whatever program you have don't just leave it to chance because it's not gonna happen and then in some cases, like specifically Orlando and Chattanooga, we went to the TV stations and we had, as I mentioned, over 600 in Orlando because of it. So um, you might not always get on TV. We, it's, it's very difficult, but at least brochures, uh, 
door knockers, flyers. There's so many things that you can do for advertising. And then launch your program. Arrive early and pray. I have, if it's a nutrition class, if it's a stress management class, if it's a, if it's a health expo, whatever it is, I want to be ready at least a couple hours before. I want everything ready so that when the people come, we can, we can, um, we can just uh, visit with the people, we can pray before the meetings, and we can place our priority on the guests. And then you seize the opportunity. And this is what is a key. If you really want to transition your people from your health programs to your evangelistic meetings, give them an opportunity. This is simply what we do. We have our brochure for our series of meetings, whether that's Revelation of Hope or whether it's Discoveries or whatever it is, we have our handbill, our brochure. Inside that, we have, and this is just a sample of one of our pre-registration cards. We have a pre-registration card, and we simply say this. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been coming to this nutrition class or whatever class it is um, you know, that you're conducting. You've been coming now for five weeks. You've been coming for five separate classes, and you've told us how excited you are that you've been learning principles of how you can live 10, even 12, or more years longer and, and, and enjoy those years. You're so excited about that. But you know what? We have another seminar coming up called Revelation of Hope, and we want you to be able to live a million trillion years longer. Not just 10 years longer, but a million trillion. And so if you would like to come to this next series on Revelation of Hope, we'd like to invite you as our special guests. And so ushers, would you just pass out the brochures right now? They are already counted out. Key in evangelism. Got to have things counted out. You know how many in a row he comes down and within just seconds passes it across and they pass across the brochure with the pre-registration card tucked in it, and we say, now, if you would like to join us in that next seminar, just fill out that, the bottom part of that registration card and hand it to the people at the door, our, our hosts and hostesses at the door. And do you know what? Just in the one that we did recently in Chattanooga, we did another one here in Chattanooga recently, I had over 100 people from my cooking school that transitioned into our evangelistic meetings. Over 100 people. They will come. They, they say, wow, uh, you know, they had something good to say, and that's usually what they tell us. You had something good to say on health. Maybe we should try, you know, the spiritual as well. So transition into, give them an opportunity, because you don't know who's going to respond and who isn't going to respond. If you're going to have a series on Revelation of Hope, and you can use the DVDs, you can use the CDs, there are so many opportunities. You don't have to have an experienced evangelist to do it. I know. I've held my own evangelistic meetings, and I am not an evangelist. But I can tell you that uh, something has happened as a result of it. So, and then number seven, introduce and implement your follow-up program. Just always have something going, some kind of follow-up. You have this sequence again, whatever it is, and, and there are many others than what I've listed here. I mean, you, you can find them, you know, they're all out there. But some kind of transitioning, but develop some kind of a form. I have a, one called Yours for the Asking in my appendix in this book. Because we take people from Bible study work into the meetings. We take people from our home groups on Daniel into the meetings. We take them from our health into the meetings. And I have one called Yours for the Asking, and they can request whether they want this. And 25% of the people, we've tracked this, will respond to something spiritual who are coming to our programs. It's just amazing. We, we've been doing this. We transition them into Bible studies personal Bible studies, we transition them into public meetings with Revelation of Hope or Discoveries in Prophecy or uh, Discoveries or whatever. And there are many tools for you to use out there. There's the New Beginnings, which is in literally scores of languages. Uh, that's what they're transitioning in, and they have it in Mandarin. And we're learning that they're using it a lot in China. It's just amazing. But then trust God. 
because he's going to bless you and he'll give you results. We have seen it, my friends. I'm excited about what God is going to do through you as health professionals because I've seen it. I go into, that's my, that's my work. That's what I do. I go into these churches and train and equip specifically. Now, we've just tried to inspire you here because you can't, as I tell my people, I can't train uh, my Bible workers in just an hour. I can inspire them maybe in an hour, but I need you know, like 12 to 14 hours to really train them where we can role play and give Bible studies in the class and knock on doors in the class and then, and then uh, do it with each other. So we hope that you will go back and train and equip your church members because I know it works and God will bless you. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen. Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.